Do we face novel challenges or are we merely repeating previous patterns? Are the concepts we employ to understand our challenges adequate to what we face and have to address? If we need new ways to think about our human situation, then where might we find the courage to think differently? The human being is shaped by two main structured trends. One is the need to live together. We are a social animal. And during all our evolution, we have elaborated, developed, experimented ways, many ways to live together. And still, I think we don't know how to do it in a plain way and in a sustainable way. So this is still a work in progress. <laughs> and the second factor which is shaping the human being is that he is feeling him herself as a unique individual. Well, unique both by what we are when we were born and what we acquired during our experience of life. And doing so, what we all want for us is freedom. Freedom and justice. Justice because we want to be recognized as different from the others. And we want this uniqueness be recognized and be understood. And we need freedom because we want to develop ourselves as a unique being. And to do, you need to be free. But being free and asking for personal justice, I would say, it's just at the opposite side yep. of living together. Yep. That is my guest on FuturePod today, Fabienne Gaubodimont a French futurist and researcher. It has been far too long since I've spoken to Fabienne again and her ideas are always deep and stimulating and she is always a joy to speak to. Welcome back to FuturePod, Fabienne. Thank you, Peter. Very happy to be with you this morning. Fabienne, it's probably been three years since our last interview, we interviewed you, I think, in the second year of FuturePod, and FuturePod's now five years old. There's been a little bit happening in the world for three years. <laughs> Almost four years now. So, yes, yeah. yes, many things happened <laughs> indeed. So generally, how was the kind of before COVID, during COVID, and after COVID life for you and your family in France? Well, I have to say that I am a bit ashamed to say that during the COVID lockdown, it was quite nice for us because suddenly we found a peace that yeah. we never experimented during our life. We were together at home with an incredibly sunny year 
So we spent a lot of time outside in the garden and I had almost no work <laughs> because most of, of my time is taken by giving keynote speeches. And of course, I kept the research work. So I had something to do. But I have to say that mostly half of my time was free, which never happened in my life. <laughs> so it was a good opportunity to rediscover the way to live together with my husband because usually we are separated all the day so yes. we had to cope together again which is good before retirement <laughs> it's a good experience the second thing was that we never had so many communications with our friends all over the world constantly having news from one another like a huge worldwide web of friends and family. How are you? What are you doing? What's happening? It was very interesting. For me, it was a very interesting time. So it, we had the chance not to get the COVID at that time. We got it just at the end of the last years. So it was one of the most known version of this virus. But yeah, life was good at the time of the lockdowns, the virus lockdowns, because we had many in France. Then we rediscovered the world in a way that the world has become a little bit different from what it was before. We had an incredible demand for being presential. I don't know how you say it in English, but you have to be there. That people just refuse, when I say people, clients, they didn't want remote participation yeah. anymore. They want you to be physically present, what we call presential in France. I spent the last year to really to run from a place to another one in so many different places that I thought so improbable <laughs> because big companies wanted to go in in very small towns in the countryside to to hold major events it was very unusual usually in france everything happens in paris or sometimes in some big cities like lyon or nantes marseille but in this case i just discovered very small french cities and i didn't know even that they could host so many people in this place. What are your clients asking you about post-COVID? Post-COVID, it was interesting because before the COVID, they mostly ask about very operational things like the evolution of management, the lean society, something very concrete for them. And now it seems that after the COVID, our clients are more I would say philosophic. They ask me, for example, they continuously ask about alien generation. This is a topic that is not changed at all. Even worse, I think that during the lockdown, parents rediscovered their children and they suddenly discovered education as well and how bad education was. We had many topics about education, many topics about this alien generation and why they are so alien about the liquid society and especially the fact that people cannot be put any longer in boxes. They are moving from one box to another one. 
and they are liquid they go out of the boxes and they move and now you are it doesn't mean so much that you are heterosexual or homosexual but you are mostly pansexual which is a completely different thing it is not about being b as we used to say in france but pan i don't know how you say it but pansexuality is something very different it, it means that you are no longer governed by your sex but you are governed by the love you have for someone which is something interesting so they talk they, they ask me about that they ask me about family what is a family deeply you have family with now the father who is not the biological father or the mother who is not the biological mother you have children living together who are not siblings so it's quite complicated to to understand what is family today so it is part of the question it's very interesting that most of the questions my client ask were about society not yep. the company itself not the corporate side or this kind of thing but about society who are we how are we, are we living is our way of life a sustainable one uh, they were also very interested by the fact that suddenly they became aware of nature they saw nature coming back in the cities and with animals with something stupid for example in my garden we have never seen a butterfly during the last 10 years at least and now they are coming back yeah and people can see this really with their eyes it is not something from a theory or from books or whatsoever it's something very concrete something that you really see so yeah i would say that the main topics were about education family liquid society and of course since the end of the last years metaverse yeah zygmunt bauman coined that phrase liquid modernity over 40 years ago now oh yeah um, even uh, yeah at the so, end of in the 90 he published it in the 98 yeah so is it was bauman prescient or do you believe that this was present when bauman was writing it but now it has been speeded up I think it has been speeded up. I didn't think he was prescient. I think he was a really excellent sociologist. Yes. Um, that he, a social scientist. <laughs> that he, he really understood what we futurists are doing, which is to look back at the structural trends in order to understand what they will produce. And doing Zygmunt Bauman really did a work of futurist. And this is really important for me because I read it, of course, and I tried to see what he was seeing at that time. And when you look at it, it would be my keynote speech, so I won't do it right now. Let me put it this way. The human being is shaped by two main structural trends. One is the need to live together. We are a social animal. And during all our evolution we have elaborated developed experimented ways many ways to live together and still i think we don't know how to do it in a plain way and in a sustainable way so this is still a work in progress 
And the second factor, which is shaping the human being, is that he is feeling him herself as a unique individual. So it is, I think, our personal uniqueness. No one can be compared to another one. We are too unique. We are unique both by what we are when we were born and what we acquired during our experience of life. And doing so, what we all want for us is freedom. Freedom and justice. Justice because we want to be recognized as different from the others. And we want this uniqueness be recognized and be understood. And we need freedom because we want to develop ourselves as a unique being. And to do, you need to be free. But being free and asking for personal justice, I would say, it's just at the opposite side of living together. I think that the question of the liquidity is the fact that liquidity is today is a new way to live together by getting out of the category that living together imposed us during the evolution. And I think that this is what Zygmunt Bauman found. You told me a story of yours that I found quite incredible when you told me, and it it was a story about France, and it was a story about a society that had fairly rigid categories, and this was a story of what you wanted to call your son, that there were certain names you could use, and you wanted to use a name which wasn't considered to be a proper name and you had to go to court to be able to name your son what you did that's right is it have I got the story right yes yes absolutely yes exactly it was the name of his grandfather who was Ukrainian yes and this name wasn't recognized by the French authorities so I had to go to the court so how does a society like that a society that says there are certain names you can use there are certain names that we can recognize how does a society like that cope with what you discussed about individual freedom and personal justice it doesn't cope with it. And this is the exact reason why you see all the social unrest that you can observe since, I think that the apex was in, in 2019. If you look at the world in 2019, you, you can see that all over the world, in every continent, you had social unrest. Yeah. Big manifestation of people who were unhappy we were not willing to accept the rules that maybe not the society, but the politics uh, um, to impose them. I'm talking about Hong Kong, for example. I'm talking about Colombia, for example. I mean, in Africa as well, all over the world, you had such a manifestation. So I think the, the problem we have today is that individuals are developing themselves quicker then the society is able to adapt. And there's this discrepancy between 
the evolution of the individuals asking for more personal justice and more uniqueness and uh, different education and different jobs and different rights is no longer on the same track than the society that try according to very old models to keep people together. All the society right now in the world are radicalizing themselves in order to strengthen the bond between people. But when you strengthen this bond, of it's always the bond of one part of your society against the other. And most of the time, it is against the other with a big yeah. O, which is a different one, the one who is not part of you. And that's why you have so many movements of the right-hand party, political parties, that you can observe all over the world. This radicalization is an attempt to maintain the bond, the national bonds. But maybe it is because the nations are no longer the right category for the citizen of the world. And it might also, to some extent, reflect an ageing population where we might have older people wanting to hold on to the old categories and the younger people having absolutely nothing to do with those categories. Absolutely. There's a famous, what we call here, as a WASP population. Yes. The white Anglican, I don't remember the rest. <laughs> Anglo-Saxon uh, yeah. Protestant. Yes, Anglo-Saxon Protestant, yes, that's right. There's a term in Australia, Fabienne, they refer to it as pale, stale and male. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good. Really good. I will use it. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. So... You've also been doing, you've also been continuing your work in Morocco. Do you want to talk to the listeners about some of that work that you've been doing for quite a long time now you've been working in Morocco? It has been 20 years now. <laughs> my first contract was in 2004. So yes, almost 20 years. Oh my God, <laughs> 20 years. Yeah. Of course, <laughs> uh, during the of covid we were asked to produce a strategic report on the post-COVID world. And it was where I spoke about this liquid society and many other things. But our first report was in 2020 about the post-COVID world. Just before that, I don't remember if we talk about this, but the last report in 2019 was about a new model of development. And if you remember, a, a big theme for uh, the previous decade from uh, the beginning of 2000 to 2018 was about the Great Transition. And uh, since 2018, it's about the new model of development called X.0. I write it down for the first time, and I was very happy with that because it gave way in Morocco to the adoption of a new model of development. Not the totality of what I describe, but some part of it. So I'm really happy with that. So then we work on the post-COVID world and trying to describe what it could be and what would be the impact of digitization, for example. We have seen many, many attempts to digitalize things that were not like libraries, for example, bookstores, many things that usually were, many activities that, that was not digitalized at the time. 
so what it could become in the future. And then I took two years to produce the following strategic report, which was published just in the beginning of this year, which is about ocean. As decided, claim ocean decade for the years 20s. So now it's a United Nations theme, and we have many uh, governmental conferences and many groups working on ocean. But at that time, when we began, it was in 21, nobody was talking about the ocean, and it was very difficult to find information. Now it's exactly the contrary. You have too many information, too much information about it. Now we have a 300 pages report about this. Keep in mind that if you want to elaborate a foresight work, you have to work in a system thinking approach. And so many people are talking about this system thinking approach, but they don't practice it. And we try really to do something very accurate about this, which is that we talk about the ocean, but we also talk about all the interfaces of the ocean. Ocean with a cryosphere, ocean with a lithosphere, ocean with land, ocean with ocean in an island system. We really try to establish a real system thinking vision of the ocean and to work at the planetary level, talking about one ocean, like we have talked about one health during COVID. Here it's really about talking of one ocean. There is no borders in the ocean and fishes and everything can move freely. But you have some hot spots, especially what we call upveiling. Upveiling is the place where all the nutrients will, will wind up yeah. to the surface and so will nourish, will feed all the living beings around. And this is very important to take this into consideration. We also spoke of the deep living level in the ocean. Usually you talk only about the fisheries, about the living being in the surface, which is quite shallow. But here we talk also about the depth of the ocean and the richness of this layer. I try also to put in some new concepts because I think that new concepts are important to change the world. And especially maybe three of them. The first one, I don't know how you can translate it. We are talking about ecosphere, ecosystem. So it's oceanosphere. So in French, it's oceanosphere, which is a way to understand and work on the ocean as a global entity with both non-living and living entities inside. It's it's a way to describe the whole entirety of ocean, not only the liquid part of it, but also the matters, also the microscopical things that you cannot see, which are not living things, but not dead things neither. So all these kinds. Oceanosphere is really an interesting concept. There is also a concept of meritory. Until now, you talk of territory. Territory, because terra is land, it's earth. Meritory, it's sea. And the idea is to conceive, to think about 
the coastal interface so i would say five kilometers of the land the coast and five kilometers of sea both together as a territory so meritory something that you have to deal with that you have to understand that you have to cope with because it is what it is and you cannot change it if you change it the consequences on our climate on the fisheries on the sea level rising on the life of so many people living along this coast will change so you have to manage them and you have to deal with them so meritory for me is something that that is really a new concept for public policies and the last one it is a concept for countries mostly for nations states you said entrepreneur okay entrepreneur is a guy who is able to have a leadership and is able to have a project and to assume this project and to build a company and to make business with it and to employ people and so on and for us aquapreneur is the same thing it is not about creating a company it's about creating a way to manage efficiently water making business from it for sure because you need to make business from something but in a sustainable way in a clever way when you create a company of course you have to make business but you won't kill your employees you won't kill your client you won't destroy your resources you have to manage them it is the same thing for ocean you have to consider ocean as an asset and not kill its living beings not kill its ecosystems not kill its equilibrium as well so that's the idea yeah the concept of aquapreneur i'm curious fabian as to why for so long entrepreneurs not aquapreneurs but yes. entrepreneurs have been so uninterested in the ocean and more interested in space and why we've always had people interested in exploring and living out there and seemingly we are either disinterested or just really don't want to go and consider the oceans as really the great undiscovered frontier I love your questions Peter really this is exactly the same question I asked myself when I began this report I try to understand what I understood from my modest research is that when you look at the sky you can see the stars you can see the vastness and okay you feel you are part of it and you are attracted by it you want to go to the stars but you do not go to the stars that's the point and the trouble is that the sea is a star the sea is a absolutely alien planet to us and we have to understand this because of what because of water we cannot breath water if you stay too long in the water you begin to deteriorate your skin barrier water will kill you this is the first thing and the second thing is that it is not only water it is salty water and the salt is even deadly for us 
So you have here a totally alien planet just here on our own planet, mm. which is supposed to be livable for us, bringing us oxygen and all what we need. But inside this planet, there is another one, yeah. not hidden, visible for everyone, but you cannot live in. And it is so complicated to access it. For example, can you imagine that we have a better mapping of Mars and of course the moon than we have of the ocean? Yeah. Isn't it incredible? Yeah. We are not even sure of the way it's working. It is so little that we know about the ocean with no comparison with Mars or the moon. I think the reason why is that we are just afraid by the ocean. We are afraid by the pressure. When you are going down deep in the abyss, you have an incredible pressure that can just break you. You cannot breathe in it and the salt will attack everything that you will bring in and corrupt everything. It's a deadly place <coughs> for us. Yes. But, that, but does it mean that we have to, to destroy it? No, because the problem is that we have to change our paradigm. The current paradigm is that we are living on Earth. And in all our minds, Earth is soil, is land, is something you live on, okay? But it is wrong because Earth is not Earth. Earth is just the sea first. You have more sea on Earth than you have land. Yep. That's the point. And land is just a part of the earth that is mainly an ocean and as long as we will understand earth as land only with some sea over it we won't be able to change our way of mistreating the ocean we have to understand that we are living on an ocean-based planet on which some land can support our life But the thing is that if tomorrow this ocean will stop to function as it is doing right now, as it has been doing for the last millennia, the land won't support life anymore. Mostly because ocean is the first provider of oxygen. It is a plankton that that is creating most of oxygen. Hmm. If you suppress the plankton, at long term, no life will be possible on Earth. Yeah. We have clearly yeah. to change our mind about the ocean. I can hear that your paradigm has changed when you were talking to me about territorial perspective. <laughs> and, <laughs> and yet there is still territorial foresight. Yes. But you are now including in territory ocean exactly and so the meritory and i think that we absolutely need to develop a meritory foresight absolutely this is my deep conviction lovely oh next time we speak you can tell me about the development of meritory foresight i'll be looking forward to it (laughs) yes so fabienne we had a bit of a chat before we came on you were talking about 
how we do horizon scanning and how most of us in our field, we scan horizon for certain things. And you've got a view that we need to broaden what we are looking for with our horizon scanning. Sure. Of course, all the futurists in the world are doing horizon scanning. We cannot work with this without this. But the thing is that most of us will track um, emerging trends. Some continue to track weak signals, but I think that weak signals are very complicated in a bouquet world. I think that we need to have a better understanding as well of what is happening in the society. And most of the time, we have no tools to understand how quick are evolutions in society. We leave it to social scientists, and then we as futurists try to to build up on what the social scientists can observe. But I think that we need to go fast and faster enough to understand the deep, really deep and maybe unconscious evolution of society worldwide. And for this, emerging concepts Mm. are interesting for me. Most of these concepts will just fade out after a while. That's right. But most of them will tell us something about how society is thinking right now and how this can orientate the evolutions. And for example, among the last concepts I spotted, I saw LAMO. I know that LAMO means something specific in in slang American, but this is not about this. It's a French acronym. LAMO, L for linear, A for anthropocentric, let's Mm -hmm. say human-centered, M for mechanistic, and O for excessively orderly thinking. It's the way of characterize the kind of thinking that allow us to industrialize the world, to have the rationalization characterizing the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century. And obviously this way of thinking, linear and mechanistic, is no longer adapted to the world we are living in since the, I would say, even since the end of the last Second World War, and even more since 1989, which is for me the beginning of the 21st century. So I think that the fact that now social scientists are becoming aware that this way of thinking is no longer the one which is needed to help us to progress is for me something just, wow, it's a kind of huge, huge game changer for me. So this is the kind of things that I'm tracking when I'm doing horizon scanning. The second one, for example, is the fact that after COVID, so many people wanted to find a new way to express VK. We have been living on the VK world since, I would say, the end of the 80s. So I remember volatile and certain complex and ambiguous world. And now we so badly needed a new expression to characterize the post-COVID world. So I went through all the literature about this a little bit. And 
I think that there is a kind of VK2 that we could use. The V for vulnerability. Mm -hmm. We suddenly discovered that we were highly vulnerable despite our high level of civilization. Still a huge uncertainty and even I think that in the first VK uncertainty was conjunctural. And in this second VK expression or, or version, uncertainty has become structural. We won't find again certainty in the coming century, I think. And C for criticity. Our organization are in a very critical situation. It means that if we don't change them, they will fail. We have had a, a huge shake. And I think that if we have another huge shake, and we will have it with a debt crisis that is coming, with a climate crisis, all these kind of crises that we see, we have to change, we have to diminish the level of criticity of our situation regarding this crisis. And finally, which is, by the way, which is saying something about globalization, and the, the fact that most of our supply chain is coming from China, which is part of it. And the A for artificial, it's very difficult in English to say it for me, it's artificialization. The fact that with COVID, as I said previously, we suddenly became aware that during all the last century, we have pushed nature outside of our own world. We have wrapped ourselves in a kind of dome and we push nature outside this dome, the urban dome, I would say. And artificialization is the fact that now we understand that we are taking more and more soil for new cities, for urbanization, is the fact that we are living on chemicals and no longer on, on natural things and so on. So I think that this concept of artificialization is really coming very strong now from this COVID period. These two emergent concepts are really saying us something about the way our society is evolving. Yeah. I mean, I take your critique of the field that we've probably been arising, scanning the safer, easier things. And the challenge you're putting out to us as a field is that we need to actually scan more around these conceptual, philosophical ideas because these are the rules in inverted commas of how people are going to think of themselves in the world. Yes, exactly. And I think that the trouble of most of the futurists today, they describe the world in which a kind of static individual would live in the next 20, 50, 100 years. But they completely forget that this individual is not static at all. Yeah. And it is changing itself. And that there will be the fact that the context is changing, the society is changing, and the individual is changing, are multiplying the effects. And that the result will be far different from what we currently imagine. At the moment, we're seeing a frisson of excitement and fear being caused by the seeming rapid development of the 
large language models that are being characterized as the first iteration of an artificial type of intelligence. And we're seeing a lot of serious people coming out calling this the end of humanity, some calling it the hope of humanity. Is this part of this new VUCA for you, or is this another one of these concepts? Is this the concept of what is human, what is life, what is person? I think that it's too early to think of it. I have been very surprised that so many of my clients suddenly ask me conference or research notes about what was metaverse. Hmm. as soon as Zuckerberg uh, announces uh, the meta. And I was very surprised of the very, <clears throat> very poor knowledge, technical knowledge of decision makers, especially in the field of tertiary activities, not industrialized, but tertiary. And Maybe it's different in the United States or Australia, I don't know, but in France, we have more a culture of social sciences and, and philosophy than a culture of maybe mathematics or technology. So maybe it's purely French, but I've been very surprised. And it has been a long time that they asked me to tell them about the advance of robotics, of artificial intelligence, and suddenly the metaverse, it was something new. And very strangely, during the last six months, I have had no demand from my clientry about ChatGPT, to name it, because all the papers we are mentioning are about ChatGPT. If you open any kind of review or journal, they are talking about ChatGPT and how it would change the world and so on. But in my clients' patients, it doesn't occur at all. Or they don't care about this topic at all. So I think that <clears throat> I'm not saying that it is not an issue, but what I'm saying is that currently, in Europe, and more specifically in France, the topic of using ChatGPT or not is not an issue for corporations. It's an issue for education, hmm. clearly, because teachers and university professors that just don't know how to deal with the ChatGPT thing, the use from the use of it by the students. But I think for me, it's a very sorry to say it this way, but obsolete way of dealing with this topic. Before ChatGPT, our students used to go on internet and make a copy-paste of the text they wanting to use in their homework. We called it plagia. Okay, it was plagia. Fine. What is different with ChatGPT? From the current teacher, there is no difference. But for me, I see a huge one. ChatGPT is like a second teacher. I have to confess that I was very resistant to use it. But I was convinced by my grand cousin, a 16-year-old, 17 years old now, saying, you have to use it, you have to use it. I said, come on, don't, don't tell me about this. And then I use it. And frankly, 
Now, ChatGPT is a kind of colleague, someone who is here in my office, and I can ask a question. <laughs> he will answer, but I won't trust him more than I trust my colleague. My colleagues are human beings. They are not perfect. There are yeah. some things I know, some things I don't know. And as a good futurist, that I hope to be, I always cross-check my data. So when I, I talk with ChatGPT, it will answer me. I will never take what he's saying for granted. I will cross-check it. But it's really interesting to have a, a real conversation. I ask him something, he answer me, and I can say, okay, from what I say, I did use that, this and this, and what do you think about that? Or how you match the discrepancy between this and that? And he can answer. Yeah. I have to say that the topic I used to deal with are not very simple. Most of them are quite complex. For example, I'm working right now on, on the concept of governance. And wow, it was brilliant. Yeah. Really. And we have been able to have really interesting conversation and help me to think a lot about things that I, I didn't include in my research previously. And he opened my mind about seeing different things and with a different vision of the topic. So I think we have to be a little bit more open to such new entity, but taking it for what it is. Yeah. It is not a perfect thing. It is not deus ex machina. It's just a machine yeah. with a huge knowledge, yeah. but with not with the quicker thinking of human beings. Yeah. So, Fabian, we're going to finish up soon, but before we do, I'm delighted to know that you have joined, along with me and a few of us, you are now a futures game maker. And I'd exactly. love for you to talk to the listeners about your futures and foresight game yeah so it was a big gift that the lockdown offered me to get enough time to be able to devise a game it has been decades that my clients were telling me foresight is very complicated we have to read books and there is no easy book really about it and oh when it is easy it is too easy we really would like something to understand foresight and but to practice it and blah 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 but i never had time to to write such a book or whatsoever and during covid finally I won't make it short, but I was helped by a colleague of us, Kate McGlone, a person from a Scottish person, and a very young guy, 19 years old, who was a student in a laboratory called GameX Lab. And, and the GameX Lab is a lab dedicated to creating games. And so all together, we work together, we design a game called The Game of the Great Transition. And we have now 220 cards divided in four categories. One is emergencies, of course, megatrends, obstacles, and game changers or levers of action. And then we have challenges. And so you take one challenges for a game table and you have to build an answer to this challenge using all the cards you have in had. your head. <laughs> if you don't use them all, you lose points. 
Right. So you have to use them all. And the thing is that because these cars are aleatory, I mean, it's by hazard yeah, you have them. Right. You, you, you play you with have, the you hand really, that you are given. Yeah. You have to make sometimes really incredible. I don't know how you call in English, you know, this figure when, when you dance, you have to open your legs. Splits. It's called the splits. The splits. Okay. So <laughs> what we want is that the player will make the splits in their mind yeah. with so different cards and trying to put them logically and cleverly together. And I'm very happy to say that I hope that I will be able to present this game, which has been printed in French and in English, at the next conference of the World Fashion Studies Federation in October in Paris. And it has been now two years that I use it with my clients and they are quite happy with it. And now one of our colleagues, Tamás Gaspar, in Hungary is using it with his students, doctorate level students. And we have a good friend, an African, Clement Odungobungo, who is playing it with African rural people in Burundi. So two very different situations, a doctorate level and agriculture peasant level in Burundi using the game so i'm very happy with that congratulations i love futures and foresight games and the more the merrier so congratulations it sounds fascinating fabienne look it's always wonderful to catch up thank you very much for taking some time out and congratulations on your work and the ocean research series also congratulations on the game and uh, i look forward to our next conversation and you can and we can talk about some of these new concepts that are now in foresight. But thanks very much. And thank you, Peter, because you are doing incredible work. And I will never thank you enough for your contribution to the field of future studies. I hope Fabienne made you think about yourself, our place on this territory and meritory, our new VUCA world, and maybe our new AI colleagues. FuturePod is a not-for-profit venture. We exist because of the generosity of our supporters. If you love listening to the pod and would like to support us, then please check out the Patreon link on our website. I'm Peter Hayward saying goodbye for now.